Methodical Studios presents H.P. Lovecraft's Pikmin's Model. Adapted for radio by E.C. Bond with music by Kevin McLeod. I still don't understand why we didn't take the subway. You needn't think I'm crazy, Elliot. Plenty of others have queerer prejudices than this. Like Oliver's grandfather, who never rides in an auto. If I don't like that damned subway, it's my own business. Besides, we got here more quickly in the taxi and we didn't have to walk up the hill from Park Street. Uh, two ales, if you please. You seem more nervous than the last time we met. You didn't used to be so inquisitive. Why the third degree? You can trust me, Thurber. Well, if you must hear it, I don't know why you shouldn't. Maybe you ought to, anyhow, since you kept writing me like a grieved parent when you heard I'd begun to cut the art club. And keep away from Pikmin. Now that he's disappeared, here you are again. But my nerves aren't what they were. What happened? I don't know what happened to Pikmin, and I don't like to guess. You might have surmised I had some inside information when I dropped him, and that's why I don't want to think where he's gone. Let the police find what they can. Won't be much, judging by the fact that they don't know yet the old North End place he hired under the name of Peters. You've been there. I'm not sure I could find it again. Not that I'd ever try, even in broad daylight. Why did he have a secret studio? I'm coming to that. I think you'll understand before I'm through why I don't tell the police. They would ask me to guide them, but I couldn't go back there even if I knew the way. There was something there. And now I can't use the subway or go down into a cellar. (laughs) Did his morbid artwork scare you? When a man has the genius Pikmin had, I feel it an honor to know him, no matter what direction his work takes. I didn't drop Pikmin for the same silly reasons that fussy old women like Dr. Reed or Joe Minot or Bosworth did. I said it first, and I say it still. Boston never had a greater painter than Richard Octon Pikmin. Minot dropped him after he saw Pikmin's bull-feeding painting. Yes, but I never swerved an inch. It takes... Profound art and profound insight into nature to turn out stuff like Pikmin's. Any magazine cover hack can splash paint around wildly and call it a nightmare or a witch's sabbath or a portrait of the devil, but only a great painter can make such a thing really scare or ring true. That's because only a real artist knows the actual anatomy of the terrible or the physiology of fear. The exact sort of line and proportions that connect up with latent instincts or hereditary memories of fright and the proper color contrasts and lighting effects to stir the dormant sense of strangeness. There's something those fellows catch beyond life that that they're able to make us catch for a second. Dor had it. Syme had it. Angarola of Chicago had it. And Pikmin had it as no man ever had or, I hope to heaven, ever will again. What is it you think men like Pikmin see? Don't ask what they see. In ordinary art, there's all the difference in the world between the vital, breathing things drawn from nature and the artificial truck that commercial small fry reel off in a bare studio by rule. Pikmin managed to turn out results that differ from the pretender's mince pie dreams in just about the same way that the life painter's results differ from the concoctions of a correspondence school cartoonist. 
If I had ever seen what Pikmin saw... Let's have a drink before we get any deeper. Oh, yes, God. Barkeep! I wouldn't be alive if I had seen what that man saw, if he was a man. Pikmin's forte was faces. Yes. I don't believe anybody since Goya could put so much of sheer hell into a set of features or a twist of expression. And before Goya, you have to go all the way back to the medieval chaps who did the gargoyles and chimeras on Notre Dame and Mont Saint-Michel. I remember you were asking Pikmin yourself once, the year before you went away, wherever in thunder he got such ideas and visions. Wasn't that a nasty laugh he gave you? It was partly because of that laugh that Reed dropped him. Reed, you know, had just taken up comparative pathology and was full of pompous inside stuff about the biological or evolutionary significance of this or that mental or physical symptom. He said Pikmin repelled him more and more every day and almost frightened him towards the last. That the fellow's features and expressions were slowly developing in a way he didn't like. In a way that wasn't human. I suppose you told Reed, if you had any correspondence over it, that he had let Pikmin's paintings get on his nerves or harrow up his imagination. I know I told him that myself, then. But keep in mind that I didn't drop Pikmin for anything like this. On the contrary, my admiration for him kept growing. His ghoul feeding was a tremendous achievement. The club wouldn't exhibit it, and the Museum of Fine Arts wouldn't accept it as a gift. I can add that nobody would buy it, either, so Pickman had it right in his house till the end. I heard his father had it. In Salem. You know Pickman comes from old Salem stock and had a witch ancestor hanged in 1692. <sighs> I got into the habit of calling on Pickman quite often. Especially after I began making notes for a monograph on weird art. Probably it was his work which put the idea in my head. I found him a mine of data and suggestions when I, I came to develop. He showed me all the paintings and drawings he had about, and uh, including some pen and ink sketches that would have got him kicked out of the club in it if many of the members had seen them. You sound like a devotee. Elliot. I would listen for hours like a schoolboy to art theories and philosophic speculations wild enough to qualify him for the Danvers Asylum. My hero worship, coupled with the fact that people generally were commencing to have less and less to do with him, made him get very confidential with me. And one evening, he hinted that if I were fairly closed-mouthed and none too squeamish, he might show me something rather unusual, something a bit stronger than anything he had in the house. You know... There are things here that won't do for Newberry Street. Things that are out of place here, that can't be conceived here. It's my business to catch the overtones of the soul, and you won't find those in a parvenu set of artificial street on made land. Back Bay isn't Boston. It isn't anything yet. Because it's had no time to pick up memories and attract local spirits. If there are any ghosts here, they're the tame ghosts of a salt marsh in a shallow cove. I want human ghosts. The ghosts of beings highly organized enough to have looked on hell and known the meaning of what they saw. The place for an artist to live is the North End. If any esthete were sincere, he'd put up with the slums for the sake of the mass traditions. God, man! Don't you realize that places like that weren't merely made, but actually grew? Generation after generation lived and felt and died there, and in days when people weren't afraid to live and feel and die. What do moderns know of life and the forces behind it? You call the Salem witchcraft a delusion, but I'll wage my four times great-grandmother could have told you things. They hanged her on Gallows Hill, with Cotton Mather looking sanctimoniously on, damn him. He was afraid somebody might succeed in kicking free of this accursed cage of monotony. 
I wish someone had laid a spell on him or sucked his blood in the night. Look here. Do you know the whole North End once had a set of tunnels that kept certain people in touch with each other's houses and the burying ground and the sea? Let them prosecute and persecute above ground. Things went on every day that they couldn't reach and voices laugh at night that they couldn't place. There's hardly a month that you don't read of workmen finding bricked up arches and wells leading nowhere in this or that old place as it comes down. You could see one near Henchman Street from the Elevated last year. There were witches and what their spells summoned, pirates and what they brought in from the sea, smugglers, privateers, and I tell you, people knew how to live and how to enlarge the bounds of life in the old times. This wasn't the only world a bold and wise man could know. <laughs> and to think of today in contrast, with such pale pink brains that even a club of supposed artists gets shudders and convulsions if a picture goes beyond the feelings of a Beacon Street tea table. See here. You're interested in this sort of thing. What if I told you that I've got another studio up there, where I can catch the night spirit of antique horror and paint things that I couldn't even think of in Newberry Street? Naturally, I don't tell those cursed old maids at the club with Reed, damn him, whispering even as it is that I'm a sort of monster bound down toboggan of reverse evolution. I decided long ago that one must paint terror as well as beauty from life. So I did some exploring in places where I had reason to know Terror lives. Now, if you are game, I'll take you there tonight. I think you'd enjoy the pictures, for as I said, I've let myself go a bit there. It's no vast tour. I sometimes do it on foot, for I don't want to attract attention with a taxi in such a place. We can take the shuttle at the South Station from Battery Street, and after that, the walk isn't much. Well, Elliot, there wasn't much for me to do after that harangue, but to keep myself from running instead of walking for the first vacant cab we could sight. We changed to the elevated at the South Station, and at about 12 o'clock we climbed down the steps at Battery Street and struck along the old waterfront past Constitution Wharf. I didn't keep track of the cross streets and can't tell you which it was and where we turned up, but I, I know it wasn't Greensboro Lane. When we did turn... It was to climb through the deserted length of the oldest and dirtiest alley I ever saw in my life, with crumbling-looking gables, broken small-paned windows, and archaic chimneys that stood out half-disintegrated against the moonlit sky. From that alley, we turned to the left into an equally silent and still narrower alley, with no light at all, and in a minute, I made what I think was an obtuse angle bend toward the right in the dark. Not long after this, Pickman pierced a flash of light and revealed an antediluvian ten-panel door that looked damnably worm-eaten. Unlocking it, he ushered me into a barren hallway that was once splendid dark oak paneling. Simple, of course, but thrillingly suggestive of the times of Andros and Phipps and the witchcraft. Then he took me through the door on the left, lighted an oil lamp, and told me to... Make yourself at home. Now, Elliot, I'm what the man on the street would call fairly hard-boiled, but I'll confess that what I saw on the walls of that room gave me a bad turn. They were his pictures. I let myself go here. The ones he couldn't paint or even show in Newbury Street. You can keep the exotic technique of Sidney Syme or the trans-Saturnian landscapes and, and lunar fungi of Clark Ashton Smith. 
There's no use in me trying to tell you what they were like, because the awful, the, the blasphemous horror and the unbelievable loathsomeness and moral fetter that came from simple touches quite beyond the power of words to classify. What do you think? The backgrounds were mostly old churchyards, deep woods, cliffs by the sea, brick tunnels, ancient paneled rooms, or simple vaults of masonry. This is Copse Hill Burying Ground. It's only a few blocks from here. It's... it's my favorite. The madness and monstrosity lay in the figures in the foreground. Pickman's morbid art was preeminently one of demonic portraiture. These figures were seldom completely human, but often approached humanity in varying degree. Most of the bodies, while roughly bipedal, had a forward slumping and vaguely canine cast. These here are feeding. I won't say on what. They were sometimes shown in groups in cemeteries or underground passages. What damnable expressiveness Pickman sometimes gave the sightless faces of this carnal booty. Occasionally, the things were shown leaping through open windows at night or squatting on the chests of sleepers, worrying about their throats. One canvas showed a ring of them baying about a hanged witch on Gallows Hill, whose dead face held a close kinship to theirs. Is that why you dropped him? I'm not a three-year-old kid, and I'd seen much like this before. It was the faces, Elliot. Those accursed faces that leered and slavered out of the canvas with the very breath of life. <laughs> By God, I verily believe they were alive. That nauseous wizard had waked the fires of hell in pigment and his brush had been a nightmare-spawning wand. There was one thing called the lesson. Oh, heaven pity me that I ever saw it. Can you imagine a squatting circle of nameless dog-like things in a churchyard teaching a small child how to feed like themselves? You know the old myth about how the weird people leave their spawn in cradles in exchange for the human babies they steal? Pikmin was showing what happens to those stolen babies, how they grow up, and then I began to see a hideous relationship in the faces of the human and non-human figures. He was, in all his gradations of morbidity between the frankly non-human and the degraded human, establishing a sardonic linkage and evolution. The dog things were developed from mortals. My God. And no sooner had I wondered what he made of their own young left with mankind in the form of changelings, that my eye caught a picture embodying that very thought. It was that of an ancient Puritan interior, you see, a heavily beamed room with lattice windows, a settee and clumsy 17th century furniture, with a family sitting about while the father read from the scriptures. Every face showed nobility and reverence but one. That one reflected the mockery of the pit. It was that of a young man in years and no doubt belonged to a supposed son of that pious father, but in essence it was the kin of unclean things. It was their changeling, and in a spirit of supreme irony, Pickman had given the features a very perceptible resemblance to his own. Would you like to see my more modern pieces? Pickman had lighted a lamp to an adjoining room and was politely holding open the door for me. I had to clutch at the doorway to keep from keeling over. The other chamber had shown a pack of ghouls and witches overrunning the world of our forefathers, but this one brought the horror right to our own daily life. God, how that man could paint! There was a piece called Subway Accident. 
in which a flock of the vile things were clambering up from some unknown catacomb through a crack in the floor of Boylston Street subway and attacking a crowd of people on the platform. Another showed a dance on Copse Hill among the tombs with the background of today. Then there were any number of cellar views with monsters creeping in through holes and rifts in the masonry and grinning as they squatted behind barrels or furnaces and waited for their first victim to descend the stairs. One disgusting canvas seemed to depict a cast cross-section of Beacon Hill with ant-like armies of the mephitic monsters squeezing themselves through burrows that honeycombed the ground. Dances in the modern cemeteries were freely pictured, and another conception somehow shocked me more than all the rest. A scene in an unknown vault, where scores of the beasts crowded about one who held a well-known Boston guidebook and was evidently reading aloud. All were pointing to a certain passage, and every face seemed so distorted with epileptic and reverential laughter that I almost thought I heard the fiendish echoes. The title of the picture was Holmes, Lowell, and Longfellow Lie Buried in Mount Auburn. I said to myself, these things repelled because of the utter inhumanity and callous cruelty they showed in Pickman. The fellow must be a relentless enemy of all mankind to take such glee in the torture of brain and flesh and the degradation of the moral tenement. In the second place, they terrified because of their very greatness. Their art was the art that convinced. When we saw the pictures, we saw the demons themselves and were afraid of them. The queer part was that Pickman got none of his power from the use of selectiveness or bizarrery. Nothing was blurred, distorted, or conventionalized. Outlines were sharp and lifelike, and details were almost painfully defined. And the faces. It was not any mere artist's interpretation that we saw. It was pandemonium itself, crystal clear in stark objectivity. The man was not a fantasite or romanticist at all. He did not even try to give us the churning, prismatic affirma of dreams, but coldly and sardonically reflected some stable, mechanistic, and well-established horror world which he saw fully, brilliantly, squarely, and unfaltering. Pickman was in every sense, in conception and in execution, a thorough, painstaking, and almost scientific realist. My studio's down here. I braced myself for some hellish effects among the unfinished canvases. Watch your step. He turned his flashlight to a corner of a large open space at hand, revealing the circular brick curb of what was evidently a great well in an earthen floor. I must have been... It must have been five feet across, with walls a good foot thick and some six inches above the ground level. Solid work of the 17th century, or I was much mistaken. See, this is the kind of thing I was talking about. An aperture of the network of tunnels that used to undermine the hill. Come, this way. I shivered slightly, then turned to follow him up a step and through a narrow door into the room of fair size, provided with a wooden floor and furnished as a studio. An acetylene gas outfit gave the light necessary for work. The unfinished pictures on easels propped against the walls were as ghastly as the finished ones upstairs and showed the painstaking methods of the artist. Scenes were blocked out with extreme care 
and penciled guideline told of the minute exactitude which Pickman used in getting the right perspective and proportions. The man was great. I say it even now, knowing as much as I do. A large camera on a table excited my notice, and Pickman told me that he used it in taking scenes for backgrounds, so that he might paint them from photographs in the studio instead of carting his outfit around the town for this or that view. A photograph is quite as good as an actual scene or model for sustained work. I use them regularly. Here, let me show you my latest piece. I could not, for my life, keep back a loud scream, the second I had admitted that night. It echoed and echoed through the dim vaulting of that ancient and nitrous cellar, and I had to choke back a flood of reaction that threatened to burst out as hysterical laughter. I don't know how much was real and how much was feverish fancy. It doesn't seem to me that Earth can hold a dream like that. It was a colossal and nameless blasphemy with glaring red eyes, and it held in its bony claws a thing that had been a man, gnawing at the head as a child nibbles at a stick of candy. Its position was a kind of crouch, and as one looked, one felt that any moment it might drop its present prey and seek a juicier morsel. But damn it all, it wasn't even the fiendish subject that made it such an immortal fountainhead of all panic. Not the doe face with its pointed ears, bloodshot eyes, flat nose, and drooling lips. It wasn't the scaly claws, nor the mold-caked body, nor the half-hooved feet. None of these, though any one of them might well have driven an excitable man to madness. It was the technique, Elliot. The cursed, the impious, the unnatural technique. As I am a living being... I never elsewhere saw the actual breath of life so fused into a canvas. The monster was there. It glared and gnawed and gnawed and glared, and I knew that only a suspension of nature's laws could ever let a man paint a thing like that without a model, without some glimpse of the netherworld which no mortal unsold to the fiend has ever had. Pinned with a thumbtack to a vacant part of the canvas was a piece of paper now badly curled up. Probably, I thought, a photograph from which Pickman meant to paint a background as hideous as the nightmare it was to enhance. I reached out to uncurl and look at the photo, when suddenly I saw Pickman start as if shot. Shh! Stay silent. He had been listening with peculiar intensity ever since my shocked scream had waked unaccustomed echoes in the dark cellar, and now he seemed struck with a fright which, though not comparable to my own, had in it more of the physical than of the spiritual. I think I was paralyzed for an instant. Pickman stepped out into the main cellar and closed the door behind him. I fancied I heard a faint scurrying sound somewhere in a series of squeals or bleats in a direction I couldn't determine. I thought of huge rats and shuddered. Then there came a subdued sort of clatter which somehow set me all in goose flesh. A furtive, groping kind of clatter that I can't attempt to convey what I mean in words. It was like a heavy wood falling on stone or brick. Wood on brick. It came again, and louder. There was a vibration as if the wood had fallen farther than it had fallen before. After that, followed a sharp 
grating noise, a, a shouted gibberish from Pikmin, and a deafening discharge of all six chambers of his revolver, fired spectacularly as a lion tamer might fire in the air for effect. A muffled squeal or squawk and a thud. Then more wood and brick gritting. A pause in the opening of the door. Cursed, bloated rats infest that ancient well. The deuce knows what they eat, Thurber. Those archaic tunnels touched graveyard and witch den and seacoast, but whatever it is, they must have run shot, for they were devilishly anxious to get out. Your telling stirred them up. Better be cautious in these old places. Our rodent friends are the one drawback, though. I sometimes think they're a positive asset by way of atmosphere and color. That was the end of the night's adventure. Pikmin had promised to show me the place, and heaven knows he had done it. He led me out of the tangle of alleys in another direction. We were too late for the elevated and walked back downtown through Hanover Street. I remember the walk. We switched from Tremont up Beacon, and Pikmin left me at the corner of Joy, where I turned off. I never spoke to him again. So why did you drop him? Don't be impatient. It wasn't the paintings I saw in that place, though I'll swear they were enough to get him ostracized in nine-tenths of the homes and clubs of Boston. And I guess you won't wonder now why I have to steer clear of subways and cellars. It was something I found in my coat the next morning. You know the curled-up paper tacked to that frightful canvas in the cellar? The one, the thing, I thought that was a photograph of some scene he meant to use as a background for that monster? That last scare had come while I was reaching to uncurl it, and it seems I had vacantly crumpled it into my pocket. That paper was the reason I dropped Pickman. Richard Upton Pickman, the greatest artist I have ever known, and the foulest being that has ever leaped the bounds of life into the pits of myth and madness. Old Reed was right. He was strictly wasn't human. Either he was born in strange shadow, or he'd found a way to unlock the forbidden gate. It's all the same now, for he's gone. Back to the fabulous darkness he loved to haunt. There are secrets, you know, which might have come down from old Salem times, and Colin Mather tells us even stranger things. You know how damned lifelike Pickman's paintings were? How we all wondered where he'd got those faces? paper wasn't a photograph of any background. What it showed was simply the monstrous being he was painting on that awful canvas. It was the model he was using. And its background was merely the wall of the cellar studio in minute detail. But by God, Elliot, it was a photograph from life. <laughs>